I kind of strained the voice a little bit. Small known fact about me, I only have one vocal cord. Most of you have two, I only have one. Childhood accident that almost took my life just took a vocal cord, so I have one that's through double duty, so I frequently lose it. So that might be more information than you want to know. But, but we're going to continue this morning with this reduced crowd to study the Bible together. We've got weddings going on, we've got vacations going on, we've got babies born. Veronica had her baby boy. So all is good. Well, I'm sorry, not Veronica. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Allison. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, Allison. Veronica's not having a child. Allison did. I've lost my voice and I've lost part of my brain. Maybe we should pray. <laughs> Father God, thank you today for giving us an opportunity to gather, giving us the freedom to gather, and giving us a passion for your word. God, I pray that you would communicate to us as we are here today, that you would show us what it is you want us to see this morning in the scriptures. Thank you for being our God. We do praise you. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to continue through the book of James, the whole life in motion, theology in motion, living out your faith. Um, it's an exciting book. On one hand, it's a single theme, but on another hand, there's many facets to it. Um, and we're going to get into that today in chapter 3. But I'm going to back up a little bit before we get into that because he's, he's pushing us to basically live a, a, a 24-7, 365, uh, show your faith, live your faith, walk your faith kind of a lifestyle. You know, share the love of Jesus, share the life of Jesus. And depending on where you are in your faith journey, this might be new to you or it might be old hat to you. But remember, James grew up with Jesus, right? Jesus was his older brother, half-brother. And so I kind of wonder how much of his growing up with Jesus affected his words that said, follow this guy. It was an interesting thought. I had never really pondered that before. But he doesn't give us a lot of how-tos when he talks about following Jesus and showing your faith. He doesn't really give us a list of do these five things, because that would end up being sort of a form of legalism. He does give a few examples, but never tells us what to do. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are representing Christ. We are to preach the gospel and use words when necessary. That's sometimes attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, but I guess that isn't necessarily correct either. But nonetheless, I like the theme of it, you know, to, to preach the gospel and once in a while use words. And so we're going to go into the part of James that talks about using words. We're going to talk about the tongue today. And he's not really talking about the, the physical tongue, the physical organ. Uh, I, I mean, after all, the, the tongue's primary function is to taste food. And uh, the tongue is also used to sort of move food around so we can masticate better. That means chew your food better. And the tongue is also used to clean your teeth. Take a minute right now. Get some of that morning breakfast out of your teeth. But um, the tongue's also used for, for phonetic articulation, which is a fancy word for speaking. Now, we all speak also with our hands and with our written words. It's any kind of communication. It isn't, isn't just the tongue. So James really is he's talking about sort of the character of a person, the mind, the heart exhibited through communication. Before we get into the text, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a broader look at the thought of communication and the thought of that subject. 
The scripture sometimes refers to it as the, the fruit of our lips or the fruit of our lives, meaning that which comes out of our life, that's which comes out of our mouth. And it's different from, say, the fruit of a tree. See, a tree is sort of mechanically consistent. We can, we can engineer a tree to do what we want it to do. But we can't mechanically engineer a person to do what we want because we have this thing called free will that is both a potential blessing and a potential curse. Jesus talks about this in Luke 6. He said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So we speak the contents of our heart. And since our hearts can be both healthy and unhealthy, our words have the potential of being healthy and unhealthy. Our words have life and death in them. It says that in Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Now that's not new to this generation or, or the people of the time that James was talking to, right? It goes back to creation. We're born with a potential for speaking good and speaking evil. Here's what the Lord said um, before the flood. Remember when the flood came and God was displeased and wiped out most everybody except for Noah and a, mosquitoes and a few camels? He said this in Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then the flood came, and after the flood was done, and, there was, and Noah offered up a sacrifice. It's interesting, it says this in, in Genesis 8, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And you might want to insert the word still evil. Like the flood didn't change anything. It is still evil. And so God realized the flood wouldn't change the potential for the heart of man. So man's tongue would then reflect what's in the heart, which is pretty compelling or pretty convicting because that's all of us. We have the potential of shredding somebody with our tongue. We have the potential of blessing somebody with our tongue. Just to sort of focus on that is what James is talking about. Now, we all communicate, some of us more than others. And to that end, the verse 1 of the third chapter of James refers to teachers. Sometimes we read it as teachers, pastors, those who have the gifts, those who have the abilities um, given by God to put them in front of a larger group for communicating. So James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So he puts himself in that category. He's not just judging others. He said, it's me. I'm a speaker. He's speaking with, his, with, his, with a written word here. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That person's even more liable with the power of the tongue since they have a greater influence with the gospel. And this obviously hits pretty close to home with me since I make my living with my tongue. I speak for a living. Therapist, shrink coach, whatever. 
and I share the gospel on a very regular basis. And so it's pretty convicting to me to kind of speak these words and to realize the power of the tongue. Because the tongue is driven by the head and the heart, which makes the tongue so dangerous, as we're going to read in a second, because the reality of our hearts that we read in Genesis. And Jeremiah also spoke that the hearts are desperately wicked. So if you speak as a teacher, if you affect more people in one-on-one conversation, you're going to have greater influence and greater impact for good or for ill. So James warns of the tongue's impact on four different levels in the verses coming up. First, he talks about the difficulty of taming the tongue. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. Maybe we could just stop right there and say amen. We all stumble in many ways. We do. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That word perfect there is translated mature or wanting nothing more to completion. And as we get older, hopefully we are a bit more mature, and we can rein it in a bit more. But I'll be perfect when I'm dead. Because as long as I'm alive, I have the potential for good, and I have the potential for evil. And that's what that verse is saying. Like nobody can tame our tongue. But hopefully as we get more mature, we have more realization that I probably shouldn't say that, or I probably should have said that. So another writer, Paul, talks about taming the tongue in Colossians when he says, make sure your conversation is full of grace, seasoned with salt. He said conversation should be graceful and tasty. But we all know of great, mature, godly men and women who have said things that were not godly and not grace-filled. And obviously we could look at ourselves and say, we've been there as well. It's in our nature And our words reveal our true self, don't they? They reveal really who I am. And clearly, the more that we invest in our relationship with God, the more that we become conformed to the image of God. Now, we still have the potential, but the more we immerse ourselves in what God wants us to do, the greater the chance, if you will, chance that our tongue has in following God's plan for our lives. So not only does he talk about the difficulty of taming the tongue, but he talks about the disproportionate power of the tongue. James 3 and verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are not so large, and are, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So this little tongue is compared to a bit in the mouth of a very large horse. I was recently riding a very large horse, much larger than me, and it was a very powerful horse. And we hadn't really gotten together on this horse. We weren't really like doing the same. You've been there if you've ridden horses. Well, I made it a little bit worse. Because somebody that I was riding with, and I won't mention Scott Paul's name, somebody that I was riding with suggested that I turn around 
and look at the very large horsefly on the rump of my horse. And then it probably would be good to kill that horsefly because it might bite the horse and the horse would react negatively. Well, I'm not a horse guy and I didn't really think through what that was going to happen. But that horsefly was the size of a hummingbird. And I thought, if I'm going to have any victory, I need to get that horsefly hard. You know where this story is going. So I leaned back and I nailed that guy in the rump. He just took off. It was not a pretty sight. Had I not had that little thing called a bit in his mouth, I wouldn't be here today. But I yanked on that bit and I pulled him down and our relationship did not get any better from then on in. But it was amazing. It was amazing how powerful I could be with that horse who's clearly got me beat by that little bit in his mouth. And that's what James is saying. These little things, the rudder of a ship, the bit in a horse's mouth, or our tongue is so little, but it has so much power. And maybe that's why James said earlier in the book, he said, make sure you're quick to hear and slow to speak. So on the positive side, the right use of the right words at the right time can be powerful and very beautiful, a small tongue. And that's kind of what it says in Proverbs when it talks about apples of gold and a setting of silver. It's just exactly what we need. So that little tongue can be used to bless in a great way when used in the right way, just like rudder, the rudder of a ship, very powerful and very effective. But we also know the large impact of a small tongue when used wrongly. And then in Proverbs 12, I don't think I have this on the screen, there is one whose rash words are sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so you can use your tongue like a sword, or you can use your tongue to heal, which is what James talks about in the next verse. He talks about the destruction caused by the tongue in James 3, 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, and bird, a reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. The power of the tongue, when used by the fire of hell, the power of a tongue when the, when the power of darkness takes over, and certainly the more of an audience you have, the greater the power of the tongue. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of any recent events about the power of the tongue. But I'm thinking of the recent decision by five men and women in black robes that changed a lot about our country. The power, in that case, of the written word and the spoken word. The Supreme Court's decision to allow same-sex couples to be legally married. That affected the whole of the U.S. and beyond. We were talking to some friends yesterday from Perth, Australia, saying that since that domino fell in the U.S., Australia is considering a similar domino to fall. Institutionalizing what God calls sin. 
Now, that decision is not going to have any effect on same-sex attraction. That's been going on since the fall of man, since Sodom and Gomorrah. But what it will affect is our constitution, and that is very difficult to overturn. So there's five men and women outside of the nine that voted in favor of it, and there's four that weren't. And I just want to read you some very articulate words, and I'll read them slowly because he's a, he's a master. Chief Justice John Roberts is a master at creating a sentence. But he was a dissenting opinion, right? He was not voting for it. He was voting against it. But obviously he was outvoted by one. He says this, The majority's decision, referring to the five, is an act of will, not legal judgment. The right it announces has no basis in the Constitution or this court's precedent. The majority expressly disclaims judicial caution and omits even a pretense of humility, openly relying on its desire to remake society according to its own new insight into the nature of injustice. As a result, the court invalidates the marriage laws of more than half the states, because already some of them had already allowed it, and orders the transformation of social institution that has formed the basis of human society for millennia. For the Kalahari Bushmen and the Han Chinese and the Carthaginians, Carth- Carth- I can't say that word, and the Aztecs, identifying basically all kinds of bizarre and random people. And then here's this final line Just who do we think we are? That was a dissenting opinion. Powerful, powerful. Five people in long robes spoke words, wrote words that affect everybody. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the power of the tongue. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So the difficulty of the taming the tongue, James talked about. Disproportionate power of that small tongue. The destruction caused by the small tongue. And the fourth warning of the tongue's impact is the deadly inconsistency that plagues the tongue. In James 3, verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers... Bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Yeah, the obvious answer is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he's saying in nature, that mechanical side of nature only has one purpose. If it's salt, it's salt. If it's figs, it's figs. There is no dual purpose. But with us, we have the ability to speak both sides. And James is saying, man, we can't keep doing that. But it's that frustrating side of the old nature and new nature 
And they were simply trying to harness that by the power of God, by focusing on God, by allowing God to control our lives and to control our tongues. So it doesn't end up being what it says Jesus said in Matthew, for by your words you will be justified or prove your faith, and by your words you will be condemned. So your words go both ways. Especially when our words and our actions don't match. Greg may share with us a great story of his little sweet lily. He has a great story about his little sweet lily, about words and actions that don't match, but I'll let him tell a story if he decides to. But I set it up in case he wants to. <laughs> and in Psalm 19, recognizing his own potential for inconsistency in his words, Psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know, God, I want my words to be acceptable to you. I want the meditations of my heart which drive my words be acceptable to you. God, you're a rock. I want to I find that strength in my heart's meditations and the words from my tongue. The tongue obviously has no ears. The heart has the ears. And if you're a Christ follower, your heart is being transformed continually into the likeness of God. And so the best way to guard your tongue from the deadly inconsistency is to fill your heart with the words of God. Let God um, govern or, or, or shape your tongue through the continual transformation of your heart. As I said earlier, James takes great care to avoid any how-tos, but I wonder if there's something in here that we can't sort of uh, take away as an application. And as I was thinking this through, I guess there was two kind of contrasting words that I thought might be good for us to, to kind of put in our pockets as we leave. The first one would be, be cautious. We've, we've understood the power of the tongue. We've understood the, 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 the potential. So just be careful. Here's some verses that are not going to be on the screen. Just kind of listen to these. Whoever keeps his mouth, it says in Proverbs, and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. So you keep your mouth, you keep your tongue, you'll avoid a whole lot of problems. Another one in Proverbs. When words are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent the more you talk the more you're going to get in trouble and that again speaks to me because i speak all day every day and i know at times i've just said the wrong thing and it's you can't put it back you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube and then in isaiah speaking in speaking from a messianic standpoint he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Referring to Jesus, of course, when at times when he was being accused, he just chose to remain silent. And there's a time for silence. And trust me, it's something that I've worked on for about 58 years. There's a time for silence. But when Jesus did open his mouth, when he was being falsely accused, he affirmed his deity. He drew attention to his Father. There's never a risk in that. So a, a takeaway is, is, is to be careful, be cautious. But at the same time, to be courageous. To be courageous. And yes, those two are kind of opposed to each other. But I spoke last week of, of this little light of mine, the candle. 
And the candle burns brightest when the room is darkest. And as you come into these times that are becoming apparently darker, it is no surprise to God. And yet He needs us as His ambassadors to speak the truth and to speak it lovingly. And I speak of this decision by the Supreme Court. Know where you stand on that. And be ready to lovingly speak the truth, not to engage in debate. The issue is to lovingly speak the truth and to know what your light should look like in that area. It's not good just to kind of play the turtle and say, I'm not going to talk about it, because the darkness surrounds us. We're here to be influencers, we said last week, right? Matthew 5, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So your light is shining by your actions, and your light is shining by your words. And they're seeing and hearing both of them. What are they seeing? What are they hearing? Preach the gospel. Use words when necessary. Then I'm going to close with a verse in Ephesians. Paul was asking the church in Ephesus to pray with him. That he said this, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He said, I want the words given to me so when I boldly speak, I can proclaim the mystery of the gospel to know Jesus and to make him known. Let's stand and worship together and then we're also going to take communion together sometime during the next step. set. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for giving us our tongue. What a great thing it is. But God, we're also learning it has a potential to represent some negative sides of our heart that we're just not pleased with. But God, you're grace-filled. And we don't walk around in judgment because of words we've spoken that were not appropriate. But God, give us the inclination, the sensitivity to the Spirit, and the, conf- and the changed heart being conformed to your image that our words would match what you've called us to be. In Christ's name, amen.